Well, thank you. You do you have a photographic memory by chance? I've been meaning no. to ask you. Do you actually have? A, you don't. You're no. so smart. Oh. You know, you become like an expert in every subject. It's amazing. Oh no, I just do a lot of research. I just do a ton of research. I'm just a nerd. I'm just a nerd. <laughs> At the end of the day, she's just a nerd. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with Jennifer Cohen. Jennifer is an election security advocate, lawyer, and political writer. Her articles on election security have been widely published, and she spent an extraordinary amount of her time, especially since 2016, focusing on investigating unsecured computer election systems across America and promoting potential solutions. I'm having Jennifer on today because American democracy is under attack in more ways than ever before. From the disinformation and voter suppression efforts based on Trump's big lie, to the GOP abandoning democracy for their own power, to foreign cyber attacks, to good old-fashioned voting machine manipulation, Congress seems unable to pass a voter protection bill because the Republicans keep stonewalling it. And now the GOP are actively telling us that they are going to elect people who will cheat, suppress, and even invalidate votes to make sure their candidates end up on top. And all of this is playing out in red states across the country. We all need to vote, but we also all need to know our votes are safe and secure. So because knowledge is power and we can't hope to fix something we don't understand, without further ado, please welcome my guest, attorney, writer, and election security expert, Jennifer Cohen. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, Lee. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah. No, thank you for joining me. I've been wanting to have you on for such a long time um, because election security is something that gets way up into my head and I don't understand it at all. And you understand it so well that I thought it would be a wonderful chance to talk about this. I mean, obviously, the 2020 election was a disaster for the image of election security with the president and his enablers telling us that the election was rigged and it was stolen and the Republican Party and the insiders knowing he was lying but saying nothing about it just to see how it played out for them. And then the Democrats attempting to shore up, you know, the public face of democracy, insisting that the elections were the safest ever, which theoretically they were, but that doesn't mean they're entirely safe. And it confuses the message when people like you point out election security shortcomings, right? We saw all these same false assurances after the 2016 election when we knew interference was happening, both internally um, and externally, right? With the DNC hack and the smeared Hillary and the Democrats and the tr Russian troll farms, but also with the voting systems themselves, right? And so I feel like most of us don't really know what's going on with election security or the safety of our elections, except we now all have this vague sense that something's wrong. So could you do a Cliff Notes version for those of us who are just dialing into this issue? I'm happy to give it a try. Um, what I would say- <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So at the current time, we're sort of in this potential democracy death spiral that I hope does oh. not come to fruition and isn't actually fatal. But you said it quite well. The problem we have is that the Republican Party blocked democratic efforts to secure our election system or to really improve election security before the 2020 election, and then had the audacity after Trump lost the 2020 election to combine the vulnerabilities that they refused to address, to combine those with a fire hose of falsehoods to persuade about 30% 
or maybe more of the country that the election was rigged against Trump. And the Democrats in response, rather than pointing out that, well, wait a second, number one, vulnerabilities aren't proof of fraud. Number two, you're lying. Number three, you blocked election security legislation, GOP. Instead, they ran with this most secure election ever simplistic narrative, which really was misleading because even if it was the most secure election ever, it was a fairly low bar because the GOP blocked election security reform. And this has had sort of a trickle-down effect, I think, in terms of anyone's ability, not just mine, to advocate for meaningful election security reform because, you know, the the MAGA movement has no credibility. So, all right, that's fine. Put that aside. But you have people who actually do have credibility. And when left-leaning media, or at least not non-MAGA media, not crazy media, hears it, they tend to now really dismiss discussion of vulnerabilities as we're heading, real vulnerabilities as we're heading into 2022. Oh, my God. Okay, so one of the things you're trying to say is uh, if you boil down 2016, We lied about the system being too decentralized to allow the outcome to alter the election, right? We said, oh, it's too decentralized. It's in too many places. You couldn't possibly alter an election. That is definitely you think that's false. false. That, there were a couple of talking points. That was one of the, that was one of the top two talking points. And um, Jay Johnson even admitted later that that was really not true because we have swing states and really close election results in those swing states. So it would only take maybe, you know, a few precincts in a few key counties in these swing states to change the results. And more than that, we have only a few mega vendors that control more than 80% of U.S. election equipment, so that if either one was hacked or infiltrated, it could have a very outsized effect on the country. Right. So, so yes, and that, then, was, that was not true. Okay. And then these, these, um, mega groups that own, you know, 80% of the election equipment, a lot of them falsely claim that their machines never connected to the internet. But that's also false, right? As to ESNS, it was false, or at least you could say misleading. They do connect to the internet. Well, a number of their systems, they won't say how many, now contain wireless modems in the precinct ballot scanner equipment. So this is just in-person voting. America's largest vendor, ESNS, quietly installed these wireless modems beginning around 2015. And they did it in swing states like Florida and Michigan. And the wireless modems absolutely do connect both the ballot scanner and the receiving end system to the internet. There is a firewall in between, but sophisticated hackers are pretty good at, you know, breaching. So yes, that was false. Yeah. And these big companies that that run our election systems, I don't think people understand what they really do. I mean, I think people conceptually understand that there are some people have touchscreen voting, but these companies provide three main pieces of equipment, right? Scanners for counting handmarked paper ballots, direct records, which are usually touchscreen voting machines, right? And ballot marking devices that generate computer marked paper ballots or summary cards that can be counted by the scanners later. That's, am I right on track there? You are not as clueless as you claim to be. That was very well <laughs> Well, you said. know me, I like um, a little research, but like, I, you know, I, I find this complicated. It is, but I do want to make a quick point, having yes. said about the ESNS ballot scanners connecting. Dominion Voting, um, the second largest voting machine vendor in the country, 
does sell modems with its ballot scanners and the modems do connect to the internet, but at least, at least I believe this to be the case, I'm pretty confident, they're not internal to the ballot scanner. So at least they're external. And that matters because if a hacker, if it's internal and a hacker actually breaches that modem, they can stay inside the ballot scanner and establish what's called persistent access and then change official results, not just reported results. So Dominion, although no one should be using modems, and I I don't mean to say that it's great that they're using modems, but at least they're external. It was ESNS that had them internal. No, and I, you know what, I would like, yes, I just want to, I want people to conceptually understand what these companies are providing people, you know, um, that it's not just the the machines, it's the things that scan the sure. machines and it's the thing that mark the ballots. These are all pieces of election equipment. And there's more than that too. Then there is the, um, the election management system is considered, you know, sort of the treasure chest if you were a hacker. And that is usually kept at the county level, like the county election office. Um, in some states, they have it at the state level. And that's what then, let's just do in-person voting. You have one of these three types of systems that you mentioned. Then they take their results, they put them on cartridges, that some places modem those results to the county election office. So through the computer systems, through the internet. Through a cellular modem. Okay. Uh, But not everybody does this. um, And we shouldn't be doing this. Ultimately, though, those cartridges are also sent to the county later and become the official results. But what you hear on election night tends to be what's modemed. Got it. Okay. So you've pointed out that the entire system of democracy depends on public trust. Right, This belief that however divided the country, the results of our elections themselves have integrity. So you see that this vulnerability of these voting equipments, this contrary to popular belief, all this equipment can actually be hacked, is deeply corrosive to our democracy because this idea that the final counts of the votes themselves could be unreliable or could have been exposed to fraud makes us question the integrity of the whole system. So this is why you and other election experts are big advocates for hand-marked paper ballots, right? You think this is the most secure way to vote. Can you talk me through hand-marked paper ballots and what you mean when you say that? Yes. Uh, First, though, just a a moment on transparency. It's a related concept to security, but there are divisions within the legitimate election security community as to how much transparency is good. And I tend to fall on the as much transparency as possible, end of that spectrum. And most of the experts that I respect also tend to be transparency advocates. By transparency, a German court once explained that that means that the average citizen is able to observe and readily understand the processes used to both record your votes and to count your votes. So in many Western democracies, they publicly hand count paper ballots that are marked by hand with a pen, hand-marked paper ballots. That is a fairly transparent system. And in those countries, you, they're not nearly as vulnerable to what Trump did here, which is having a corrupt politician spread a big lie because they are transparent. Those countries tend to have fairly simple ballots, not a lot on the ballots. America's ballots are much more complex than in those countries that are able to do this hand counting. And so in the U.S., we use equipment. But we should still use as little as possible because any machine is by definition opaque in the sense that the public can't see what's happening on the inside. And that can erode public trust, even if an election is secure. Um, That's why I think transparency matters. It It is a matter of maintaining this public trust. So 
the least amount of equipment possible in terms of recording and counting your votes is the system you described. Handmarked paper ballot simply means you're marking your ballot with a pen, pen and paper. That's what handmarked paper ballots means. In some ways, I almost, I kind of started the hashtag handmarked paper ballots several years ago. I almost wish I had said pen and paper instead because here's what happened. So that their new touchscreen system on the market that you mentioned has largely replaced the old touchscreen systems that you also mentioned. The new ones are called ballot marking devices. And what they do is they they replace the pen with a touchscreen machine. And then the touchscreen machine fills out your ballot for you and spits it out. And theoretically, the voter will review it and everything's hunky-dory. So theoretically, the voter would check what it spit out, right? Exactly. But um, there are a number of problems with these systems. Just number one, it's an unnecessary use of technology. And really, this is what I spent several years advocating against, because even before the experts came forward publicly and criticized these systems, when they got they conducted the tests that showed that most voters, like really, truly, the overwhelming majority of voters don't check those printouts, no way. No one ever wants to believe it, but study after study has confirmed this. Even before they came forward, I was on these messaging groups on election security, and I saw that the experts were all very concerned about these systems, and they were being sold right then. And the concern was, well, we haven't studied them to be sure that they're going to be a problem, but we're worried they're going to be a problem. And I thought, well, isn't that enough to tell people put put it the brakes on? But apparently, it wasn't enough, and they tend to cost more than pen and paper systems, which may be the motivation for the vendors. I really don't know. One of the most infamous aspects of these new ballot marking devices has to do with the fact that these paper printouts, that they often call them paper ballots. That's why I wish I had said pen and paper to begin with. And so oftentimes I'll say, we need hand-marked paper ballots. And I cannot tell you how many replies I get saying, yay, paper ballots. Yes, paper ballots. They think the hand-marked is superfluous. Or they'll use sort of vendor um, lingo. Yay, voter marked paper ballots. Guess what? Voter marked also can mean these touchscreen systems. So you really have to either say hand marked or pen and paper to avoid them. But what they do that's so infamous, they've got all your selections down below in human readable text, fine and dandy. But right above it, they have either a barcode or a QR code, which is a type of barcode. And that is the only part that is actually counted as your vote. And so voters can't read barcodes and they can't read the QR code. And that is a transparency problem. And it is a security problem because that is a significant vulnerability. And so- Right. Because if you have a barcode, it doesn't matter what the printed words that I can read below say. If somebody has hacked a system or put malware in or done something with a USB that puts a virus through all the machines- it's the barcode that's going to be read. And we have no idea what the barcode actually says about my vote. Exactly. And the voter cannot verify that. Um, And then on top of it, although in an audit, in theory, some places, not all, um, but some will use the human readable text, their study, the most recent study done by the University of Michigan showed that something like only 7% of people were able to detect errors in those machine marked printouts. Um, And that harmonized with earlier studies about the earlier version of touchscreens, which spit out a different kind of paper. So the beauty of a handmarked paper ballot 
is that it's the least susceptible to hacking or manipulation because I'm filling it in with pen and paper. And then even if the computer takes it in, there is a paper copy of what I wrote. So if it was audited later or looked up to later, there's an entire paper trail, literal paper trail of what I filled in. Whereas if I do it on a touchscreen, even if I get a paper trail, it could have been changed while in the computer. And that's your transparency issue. Once I put things into a computer, I lose sight of it. So even whatever comes out of it is not what I necessarily wrote down. And you think that it would be best to have the pen and paper version so there is an actual paper trail of human choice for future audits. That's correct. And I would say that most highly respected IT election security experts agree with that, the independent ones. There are a number of election security experts who work for vendors or sell equipment themselves. Doesn't make them bad people, but it's harder to be unbiased. And they, or they work for an election office that has made the bad decision to buy these systems. And then, you know, they're sort of, they're an expert, but they're sort of a cheerleader for these systems. The barcode is kind of one of the easier things for people to understand, but honestly, there are so many other problems, regardless, even if they remove the barcodes. At a minimum, they are certainly at risk of breaking down. And you often have poll workers who are older people who aren't tech savvy, who don't know how to what to do when there's a glitch. And then if, so if that happens, there's a significant problem. They have to be activated. And though they're activated by, guess what, another computer, one that connects does connect to Wi-Fi or Bluetooth called an electronic poll book. And that's often where we've seen problems in the few years that we've been using them. I really don't think we've had a good enough test run yet of these systems because there was so much vote by mail in the 2020 election. There will probably be less because of um, Republican efforts in 2022, and we may have a better idea then. But the breakdowns can be a very significant problem. Just screen freezes, miscalibration, you know, meaning it's not aligned. So you vote, you meant to vote for, you know, John Kerry and it showed Mickey Mouse. Every touchscreen has those types of issues. Right. Well, any computer has those types of issues. I mean, you and I trying to talk today, we had computer issues. Like this happens every time you get a computer involved. And like you said, they all need power. So if the power goes down in the building, you can't vote. If the computer breaks, you can't vote. If you run out of uh, people that can fix whatever's broken, you have one machine going and people can't vote and they leave or they take off. So Right. Some states will say that they have paper ballots, but what they mean is they have these machine-marked paper printouts from a ballot marking device. I do want to make a quick point, which is that these can be very useful systems for voters with disabilities. And initially, that's what ballot marking devices were meant for. The problem is when they are being sold and marketed for use by all voters as the primary voting system. Yeah, you've tried to make it easier. Well, the risk of too much technology backfiring is if you can have just a catastrophic meltdown. And Los Angeles County is sort of the poster child of how that can happen in 2019, just before the lockdown. So it really had nothing to do with that. They launched their big new touchscreen system and they had massive, massive meltdown. They attributed it to the electronic poll books that are used to, were used to activate the systems for each voter. You go you get an activation card from the electronic poll book and then you stick that into the... So if the activation computer goes down, it, it, 
They had problems with both, though. Even independent of the poll books, they had problems with the ballot marking devices. Yes, my husband and I voted. We we voted in that election, and it was bananas. The lines were hours and hours long to try and use these right. systems. And we ended up going to three separate poll places to try and find a reasonable line to get into. Um, and that's, that's the right. thing. These computers can take longer. They're more expensive. They're easier to hack. They're less secure. So why would anyone want to use them? Um, well, I think what happens is the vendors have representatives who for years have, again, really the top two are ESNS and Dominion, and then Hart is kind of a distant third at, you know, 10% of the market, but they develop relationships with election officials. And that's who the election officials listen to, to get advice about what they should buy and they tend to recommend these touchscreen systems. More technology is better for the vendors because in addition to selling the equipment, they get a lot of money from servicing and maintenance agreements. You just get also get a lot more people with access to the systems. And that's really not what you want when you're trying to create a secure system. But when they break down, you do get, there can be conspiracy theories or legitimate concerns when they all break down. And for example, an African-American precinct, nobody seems to, in between elections, people don't take long lines and breakdowns that seriously, but it's a serious thing. And it's a bit, but during the elections, they sure do. And you're going to have a lot more trouble. Like if you're using a touchscreen to mark your ballot, you can't mark your ballot if the touchscreen goes down. It, with hand-marked paper ballot, pen and paper, even if the scanners go down, you can still vote. They can just be counted later, which will still create concern. You know, oh my God, the scanners are down, but you were able to cast your vote. And, you know, you would think that election officials would have adequate backup pen and paper systems in case touch screens go down. But then why not just, number one, why not just use the pen and paper to begin with? And number two, they don't always, like Los Angeles County, they use these military um, overseas ballots that only had a handful of the races, only the, maybe it was only the federal races or something. So there was a, Los Angeles has a lot of county races on there and those were not on those. And then they ran out. So they tried to use, um, they ran out of ones that were English in English. So they only had ones in Spanish and it was just. <laughs> or Tagalog. Yeah, it was, it was a mess. And you really do have election officials not wanting to have these backup systems in place and even fighting in court to not have backup systems in place. It's really disconcerting. Very disconcerting. Now, how, where did mail-in ballots fit in that? Is a mail-in ballot considered a hand-marked paper ballot with a pen and paper? Because that's how I fill it out at home. It is. I vote by mail. I don't think there's any system that is foolproof. I think there will always be some degree of fraud, hopefully, in no matter what system is used. I just think there is. Um, what you want to avoid, they call it retail fraud versus wholesale fraud. So retail kind of means like here and there on the ground, there may be a few things. Wholesale means, you know, somebody invades ESNS and then they're able to change systems throughout the whole country or or it means that you can do it on a, like the entire county can be changed. The main concern I have with vote by mail is not what Trump was peddling that all these vote, all these fake ballots are being shipped in from China or Roger Stone who said they were coming from North Korea because there's so many different ballot styles that would really not be able to make its way into the system without getting detected. What I'm more concerned about is problems with the voter registration system, switching people's addresses around, you know, to, and then they don't get their ballots um, on time or at all in some places. And so, for example, in Los Angeles County and one, and I think that same election, something like 10,000 people didn't get their mail ballots on time. 
And they could theoretically, though, still go to a polling place. In some places, yes. In some places, it becomes complicated because it'll look like you already know you said you were going to vote by mail. You're not allowed to be here. I think in Los Angeles County, you were able to do that. So my advice is if you vote by mail, just or just I don't recommend against it. As I said, I vote by mail. I think probably it is better than voting on one of these touchscreen systems if that's what your county requires for all voters. So, for example, if you live in Georgia, I would say vote by mail is better if the state is allowing it. I'm not sure where that has been left. But if you vote by mail, just order, just get your ballot requested as early as possible so that if there are problems, you can find recourse. It is at least a hand-marked paper ballot. Which is one of the reasons we should have uh, the ballots go to everybody's house without having to request it. I think that's one of the beauties of California is it just shows up. If you're a registered voter, it just comes. You don't need to request it. You don't need to ask for it. It just arrives. And you can either vote by mail or show up at a polling place on voting day if that's how you would prefer to do it. Voting shouldn't be difficult. It's been deliberately made complicated so people won't vote. And that's one one group of people trying to make it hard. I think that's right. I could throw you a curveball, but I don't think we want to go there right now. It's too too complicated. <laughs> some of the, some well, of the efforts to make voting accessible, sometimes there is often a bump between those two and election security. So like Los Angeles County with these big vote centers, they sort of needed more technology because of the voting system model that they set up. And then that really bumps into election security and just um, electronic fallibility problems, mm. problems with making the system just too complex. Because as soon as you have a computer involved, it becomes a bit of a problem. You need a lot of computers if you're going to do these massive vote centers where everyone can vote anywhere. And it makes audits very difficult as well as they discovered in Los Angeles County. Yeah, it's no easy answers, huh? That's a lot. Okay. <laughs> well, let's take a quick break to thank the people who made this episode possible. And we will be right back after this. So as you know, I'm doing my summer ads from Canada. I haven't traveled in three years because of the pandemic, but I have to tell you, I love to travel. Not just because my family lives in a different country, but because I think travel is one of the best things we can do with our lives. Remind us that not everything is insular or happens within our own country, but that there's a whole other world out there we can experience to give ourselves perspective on how to be the best humans we can be. So I was excited when BASE approached me to sponsor the show. BASE is a luggage company created by actress Shay Mitchell in order to make sleek and affordable bags, luggage, and accessories designed to help you travel effortlessly while still looking cool. The bags have everything you could want. 360-degree gliding wheels, cushion handle, built-in weight indicator, washable bags for your dirty clothes, and all the interior pockets you need to help keep you organized. The luggage is beautiful, comes in multiple sizes and colors, and for shorter trips, they have a weekender bag that's super functional and has a place to store your shoes completely separately. So whether you're packing for a quick trip or looking to breeze through security lines, BASE has you covered. Right now, BASE is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash politicsgirl. That's BASE, spelled B-E-I-S, travel.com slash politicsgirl. People always say it's the journey, not the destination. But getting somewhere effortlessly is what BASE luggage was designed for. Trust me, take a look. You're going to love them. That's basetravel.com slash politicsgirl. Politics Girl has a new sponsor, ClickUp. ClickUp is a productivity platform that promises to save you one day a week on work, and they guarantee it. Now, I haven't tried it yet, but I am intrigued. Save me one day a week in productivity? God knows I could use that. Couldn't we all? 
ClickUp began with the premise that productivity was broken, that there were too many tools to keep track of, too many things to navigate between. They believed there had to be a more productive way to get through your day. ClickUp is the one tool that houses all your tasks, projects, documents, goals, spreadsheets, everything you need. And ClickUp is built for teams from one to over a thousand. Whether you're in project management, engineering, sales, marketing, or HR, ClickUp wants to make your work environment more efficient. Over 800,000 highly productive teams are already using ClickUp today. If you want to give it a shot, use code POLITICSGIRL to get 15% off ClickUp's massive unlimited plan for the year. Translation, you could start reclaiming your time for under $5 a month. Sign up today at ClickUp.com and use the code POLITICSGIRL. Now, you've been quoted saying, although foreign interference is a credible threat, you're more concerned with corrupt insiders, as you see them as being the bigger threat to the country overall. Um, They just said in the 1-6 hearings, you know, watching out for our elections is a true public service. Institutions don't uphold themselves. People do that. And we can see how hard Trump and his people, we know he didn't do this alone, but we can see how hard they tried to cheat. But the institutions held. Unfortunately, they're now out here replacing the people who stood by the Constitution and their oath of office with their own Republican toadies, who will be loyal to the party over the country. And as you keep pointing out, um, the mega movement is recruiting an army of poll workers for 2022 and then, of course, 2024. So what are your thoughts on that? I feel that it is really important that the Democrats have an equally massive effort to get left-leaning or at least non-MAGA poll workers to work on election day and during early voting to improve transparency as to problems that real problems that might arise because the media in this environment is particularly reticent to report on vulnerabilities because the MAGA mob equates vulnerabilities. They always say, aha, so much for the most secure election ever, or aha, we were right to question Trump's loss. So if we want to know about vulnerabilities, we unfortunately can't rely wholly anyway on the media to report on them anymore. They already were a little bit, even before the big lie, about half of the media, even within an organization, let's say like the New York Times, half of them would underplay vulnerabilities because they felt it was irresponsible to tell the public the truth. And then about the other half of the journalists in the same, both New York Times would tell the truth. So if we have poll workers, at least we have people on the ground to tell us what is really happening. And if there are real problems, they can report them. And if there are imaginary ones created by bad actors or rogue poll workers, for example, for the MAGA movement, but really just anyone, but I think it's a much bigger risk now, then you have an ability to counteract the narrative sooner than later. And I think that's a really important thing that we need to get going for the Democrats for the 2022 election. One other quick point about that is you sign up through your county political party. So if you're a Democrat, you look up your county political party and can sign up. But if you really want to get sort of extra training on what to look for for, from an election security perspective and what to do if there are election security problems, The organization I recommend going to for that type of training is called Scrutineers, and it's scrutineers.us. It's run by a friend of mine, a long, long time respected election security advocate named Emily Levy, and I do trust her judgment implicitly. But your point is basically that 
kind of a terrible side effect of the big lie, which I agree with the people that are now calling it the big crime, is that too many Democrats now wrongly assume that any legitimate concern about election security or voting systems puts them into the big lie camp, that they're hesitant to question voting security or integrity because it makes them sound like they're Trumpers, even though they're just questioning something to begin with. And that we've always had this sort of lack of transparency, everything's fine, in order to keep the public's faith in democracy itself. And yet there have always been issues and now there just are more because we keep adding more electronics and bad actors to the scene. So you don't want people to equate people who are legitimately questioning where there might be problems and people who are trying to undermine the election systems themselves for their own power. You don't want people to conjoin the two. That's right. And I think one way that you can maybe distinguish is, you know, anyone who's out running around out there saying that a vulnerability proves fraud is suspect. And if this is a very difficult area to report on, talk about, you really need to look for people with as much integrity as possible. And that means people who will correct errors when they make them. And if someone does not correct their error publicly and apologize for it, that is a huge red, red flag. So for example, in Pennsylvania, Senator Doug Mastriano, a little bit after the election, I think, in November of 2020, he put out a tweet. And in the tweet, he switched the some of the data, the voting data for Pennsylvania for, between the primary and the general election to create the false impression that more like a, more than a million mail ballots had been returned than were sent out. And that was debunked. Rudy Giuliani also pushed this lie. And it was referenced even in the disbarment papers that Rudy Giuliani received. And neither of them, to my knowledge, has ever apologized. And not only that, Mastriano's tweet is still up. It got 40,000 retweets. I just checked it today. And he's running to be the governor of Pennsylvania on an election integrity platform, which I, so I would say that that is someone you can't trust when they put something out there and it's been corrected and debunked and they leave it there. That is someone you should not be listening to. I would say that is the whole Republican Party. I mean, they put out the big lie out there and it has been thoroughly debunked and no one has apologized for spinning that. In fact, they created 450 new voter suppression laws based on that lie. And they haven't said, oh, whoops, it's very clear that he lied about it and knew that he lied about it and knew that he didn't win. We're going to back up all these laws we made based on that lie. They're all perfectly happy to keep all of those laws on the books, even though right. they created it based on a lie. I think that's almost everyone. Mastriano and Rudy Giuliani are their own problem. And uh, Pennsylvania really needs to, you know, hold it together on that one, because I think that if we're looking at any sort of realistic um, 24 election, we have to be very careful that people like Mastriano aren't in charge, because he's already said the Republican wins, red team wins. Right. He wants to appoint a new secretary of state who's a big lie proponent. Um, yeah. The other thing I wanted to say, it's I can give you the names that I trust on election security, but it is incredibly difficult now, and I will explain why, to know who to believe on this stuff. So another unfortunate side effect of the big lie is that some of the election officials who made bad have made bad election security decisions, and those decisions are still having an impact. They haven't been reversed or anything. 
few of them are the are being hailed as heroes for pushing against the big lie. And that has really made it very, very difficult to help the, the country understand where improvements need to be made because effective advocacy often requires that you tell the public who specifically is making these bad decisions. But those people receive death threats based on lies told by the MAGA movement. And it has put advocacy into really a very untenable situation. So for example, in Michigan, they still have wireless modems in their systems. The real forefront of the advocacy for hand-marked paper ballots, guess where that is? State of Georgia. Yes, the Georgia Secretary of State, Georgia was the first state to use paperless touchscreen systems statewide. And Georgia, despite all election security experts that were independent recommending against it, insisted on buying these ballot marking devices, these touchscreen systems, and probably the best election security advocate in the country had it very well positioned to be required that they dump that system for hand-marked paper ballots. But the big lie has really, really made it difficult because nobody wants to criticize Raffensperger. Understandably, he stood up to Trump. This was the in-person voting system, by the way, not the vote-by-mail system, which is where Trump seems to think that he doesn't actually really think this, in my opinion, but he really demonized vote-by-mail. This is the in-person system where they bought these QR code, barcode voting systems. And that doesn't make Raffensperger a fraud. It doesn't mean he's committing fraud, but he did make a bad decision and he was getting a lot of heat for it. No violence suggested, but violence is so implicit now in the MAGA movement that um, you know people see if you were to call out an election official for a bad decision, they'll assume that you're crazy or conspiracy theorist or part of the MAGA movement. And it just makes it very difficult to make progress. Yeah. And it's happening all over the country, right? Like we just had the New York Board of Elections um, ready to approve new voting machines that you think are particularly vulnerable to cyber attacks. And they've been someone who's, New York's been a state that's been very pen and paper for a long time. And a Democrat put in a bill that said, hey, we can't have these machines. And another Democrat seconded it. And then a bunch of other Democrats stopped the bill from going through. Um, and that's a real problem the because they think they're standing up. Yeah. And the NAACP, they're up there thinking they're standing up for voter security where really they're actually getting in the way of voter security. And I think that's happening all over the country. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Well, right. So the system, New York has been a pen and paper system and they managed to keep touchscreens out of the state, the old systems, but the new one in particular, the express vote, I think it's the XL that they're trying to put in there, put get in New York. I think that was the one. And really- Yeah, it's the Express Vote even, XL voting machine. Yeah, even election security experts with whom I have butt heads because they are not, they're security experts, they're not as into transparency as I am. They think I'm too out there talk, talking about vulnerabilities. They say quietly that, yeah, the XL is junk. I mean, it's really, everyone agrees that that's a junk system. And New York just, well, there was a bill, actually, I think the bill was to ban them. And I think half of Democrats voted with the bill to ban them. I think they even got some Republicans, although only a few. And um, they had in the NAACP and the ESNS lobbyists and others managed to kill the, kill the bill. So I think that, yes, that now people tend to think that anyone 
advocating for election security is helping the big lie and they they want to shoot it down. But we actually have legitimate concerns. So the legislation that the GOP blocked before the 2020 election would have banned most of these ballot marking devices, anything that put votes into barcodes that would have been banned under the SAFE Act. It also would have banned Internet connectivity and remote access to voting systems. Um, but now, yeah, I think because the Democrats went with this most secure election ever narrative, it has created a feeling that our system is now secure when there are, it's probably better than it used to be, but it's certainly got a ways to go. Could we use this new Republican line that we don't trust the machines, we don't trust these accounts? Could we use that to our benefit to make elections more secure overall? I mean, one thing we haven't talked about is there actually are quite a lot of safeguards um, to our elections. You know, you were just talking about Raffensperger, and he was just pointing out those UPC symbols make each ballot unique. So that at least blows a hole in the people voting twice thing. Um, and there's so many election workers that have the country's best interest at heart, and there's checks and there's double checks. What are the good things about the system? What are the things that we should be trying to support moving forward? Because um, obviously we need to watch out for uh, a lot of electronic trouble. We need to look out for um, hacking. We need to look out for malware. We need to look out for, um, you know, mega poll workers trying to undermine voting. But like what does work? What is working? Because I want to encourage people like we just saw Ms. Meeks and Lady Ruby, these types that want to be part of the election process, that want to help, that want to make sure our elections are secure. I, want, I don't want people to think that the whole system is just broken. So what is working that we should keep up? I think the, most of the country does use pen and paper. So that is the good news good. right there. I mean, that's probably the best thing that I can say. There is a, well, there was a move to make sure that audits are meaningful that has been unfortunately derailed. Every time I try to talk about audits, somebody inevitably will say, it's been audited four times. So the left-leaning Center for American Progress did not give Arizona audits a high grade. I don't remember what it was, a C or a D maybe in 2018. Um, and you have everyone out there saying it was audited three times, which was also really not true. The word audit is a little vague, I guess, but logic and accuracy testing is something different, but they were calling that an audit and I don't know. I think there is a move toward more auditing, hand auditing. And I think that that is really important and we need to support that. And the fact that most of the country is using pen and paper, I think, is a very positive thing. You know, we have probably higher voter participation than we've ever had. So, so that's good. Well, that's not saying much. Holy hell. What can no, we realistically do before 2022? Or what should we look to do before 2024? And what do you think we should push for long-term? Obviously, transparency for you is a big thing. And the SAFE Act, which is, uh, you know, favoring transparency and audits in our elections. Um, so again, for the 2022 election, I really think there needs to be a huge push for poll workers non-good faith poll workers and sign up with your county political party, get training through the organization I recommend, Scrutineers. I don't think there's another organization like them, scrutineers.us. I do want to say if you vote in person, bringing a completed sample ballot with you, I think is really important. And that's whether you use a touchscreen or not. If you've already reviewed all of the selections before you get there, it can really speed up the process. But in particular, if you're voting on a touchscreen, 
that study that I mentioned, which showed that most people don't notice errors on the printouts, the only thing that really improved that was if they had something like a completed sample ballot with them to compare to the printout. So definitely bring your completed sample ballot with you if you vote in person. If you vote by mail, request your mail ballot immediately and follow the instructions to AT. Things that to you might seem like not a big deal or technical difficulties can get your ballot tossed. Know the number of the election protection hotline, which is 1-866-OUR-VOTE. So if you have problems voting, they can help you. I think it's really important for Democrats in the 2020 election, Democratic voters, to encourage the leadership not to just concede unexpected, highly unexpected losses. If there's really, if there are some races that are really unexpected, they should try to not go out and say this is fraud, right? But just do some due diligence because experts say unless you actually do a meaningful manual audit or a full manual recount, there is no way to really know for sure if the result is accurate. So I don't want Democrats giving away our democracy without some due diligence there. I'd say that going forward, you mentioned the SAFE Act that was introduced by Ron Wyden. That's the bill I keep mentioning that the GOP killed. I do think we had an opportunity. I think we had one. I, hopefully we'll still have one. I think we should have done a standalone election security bill, um, even just a standalone auditing bill. Since the Republicans were all audit, 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 maybe we should have called their bluff on it. I pretty much, via my Twitter account, begged the Democratic leadership to do that, but they only went with the omnibus bill and didn't break anything up. So SAFE Act is just on election security. There has been a recent trend toward internet voting. I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of that, but Susan Greenhall, who works for Free Speech for People, a long time, I would say she's an election security expert in addition to being an advocate. She's on Twitter, Susan Greenhall, G-R-E-E-N-H-A-L-G-H. You can follow her for updates on that. And also, if touchscreens are coming to your town, I would push back on those. And then to be able to go through the weeds, I would use my, my list of experts who I consider to be reliable on election security, that they are transparent. So they will give you, they will tell you the truth about vulnerabilities, but without equating them with proof of fraud. So one of them is Alex Halderman. He's excellent. Another is uh, Rich DeMillo, who was at Georgia Tech. Another is Philip Stark at UC Berkeley, who is an auditing expert, election auditing expert. Susan Greenhall, who I already mentioned. Marilyn Marks at the Coalition for Good Governance, who is pursuing that hand-marked paper ballot case against Raffensperger in Georgia and having really a very difficult time with messaging because of him stopping Trump. Thank God. With yes, because lie. he's a Republican hero right now. Mm -hmm. Right, because he's a Republican hero right now. And um, not all these, some of these, most of these people do post on Twitter, but not necessarily that often. So if you're Googling for articles and things on election security, I think if you see their names, what they say, you can pretty much take to the bank. If people want to follow you to uh, know your insight or get connections to some of these people you think are experts, what's the best way to follow you? I am on Twitter mostly every day uh, at Jenny Cohn one J E N N Y C O H N one. There's no E in my last name. I'm also on Medium, where I've been working on a series uh, about Roger Stone because he was a big proponent of the big lie. 
but Twitter is usually the easiest to find me. I think most people just look at the system like, why is it so difficult? You know, we have this encryption on our phones that is so hard to get into that even the FBI can't access my phone unless Apple gives them the code. We have this level of security, like face scans and all these things. It just feels like for a fraction of the cost of, say, a military stealth bomber, we should be investing in auditing at least every swing state, but if not every state. You know, if you're going to get audited, you say you're definitely going to get audited if you're one of these six states. And then we're going to pick five extra states and we're going to audit them. And we can randomly choose that. And maybe for the next 10 years, 12 years, we do it at every election so people start to feel faith in the system again. Because I think you've given so many good ideas about what we should do as voters to feel safe. But I think we also need to put pressure on our representatives to make sure they have the voters feel safe. Because I think the Democrats have spent a really long time trying to make us feel confident in the system to the detriment of themselves. And I think that we need to have focus that you can be critical of a system while still upholding a system, Um, especially when the other side is trying to tear the system down. So- Thank you so much for joining me today, Jennifer. I've, I have to say I've been reading Thank your you. stuff for a really long time, but it's really helpful to um, have someone come and really talk to you about a complicated issue. So thank you for taking the time to do it. I, I really appreciate your asking. Thank you. It was fun. So that was Jennifer Cohen, election security advocate, lawyer, and political writer. I think the bottom line is we want to be able to walk away from our elections knowing, truly knowing that the election was legitimately won or lost. Voters must demand and Congress must pass comprehensive election security legislation or at the very least a standalone audit bill. These false assurances that the election was secure or the safest ever will no longer suffice, especially when we know that one side is all in for cheating. If lawmakers want us to believe in the integrity of America's elections, then they must take steps to make sure the system is secure. There will always be fraud. As long as people are involved, some corruption will happen. We just have to make sure it's as difficult as possible. I'd like to thank Jennifer Cohen for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.